with Kobe having taken aim successfully at apparel and what you wear on the field as an athlete, then doing that in the beverage space and what you put in your body, you know, it felt like the most obvious partner to us to then involve him as a co-founder in the business, looking at application and what you put on your skin every day. The sort of last, I think, big frontier where people hadn't built an authentic sports brand from scratch in the way that Nike did in apparel uh, or Gatorade or Body Armor did in the in the sports beverage space. So that's that was sort of the, the genesis of the relationship. Um, and the timing was pretty fortuitous because he was really excited about building businesses that were serving the athlete. And his first comment to me when we told him about our sport was, how does this not exist yet? That's Matthias Metternich discussing how he and the late Kobe Bryant co-founded Art of Sport Together, now the fastest growing men's personal skincare brand in the United States. Matthias is no stranger to entrepreneurship, having started four companies and now scaling Art of Sport to nearly 15,000 retail doors in 2021. Matthias unpacks several points in today's interview, including what attracted Kobe and the founding team to this market, why Art of Sport decided to list on Amazon right away, Mark Cuban's recent investment into the company, and how Art of Sport plans to power every gym bag and locker room in the country. This interview is fascinating, and as you can tell from Matthias and the team, they have a different outlook on retail than most traditional brands, and it's working. A large part of that success is having the objectivity and humility to listen and choose the right partners. Matthias talked about the importance of approaching athletes as more than just investors, rather true partners who can have tremendous impact on the product development cycle and overall R&D for a young company. Matthias gave a great example of how James Harden, another art of sport partner, really leaned into their relationship early on. I hope you enjoyed this interview, and for more founder stories, be sure to subscribe and visit sportlifestylenetwork.com for the latest podcasts and newsletters. And if you enjoyed this interview as much as I did, please share this out to your community. Let's get to the interview. Matthias Metternich, thank you for joining us today. How's it going? Great, thank you. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Uh, we have a lot to cover today, uh, and, and you have a fascinating background with lots of scars in the form of passport stamps to prove it. Uh, I was reading, and it seems that you've visited nearly every country in the world almost, uh, and, and surely those experiences helped you found Art of Sport, which you started in 2018 uh, and is now the fastest growing men's uh, care, personal care brand uh, in the United States. But uh, before we talk about that, I read you were a serial founder, uh, and I th believe this is your fourth company. So I got to ask, uh, what was the first company you started? Um, the first actual company that I started was a was a business where I basically um, uh, procured a number of computers, and then uh, I would refurb them, I would update them, and then I would sell those in bulk uh, to schools, to libraries, to sometimes companies. Um, but essentially, it was a, a computer hardware business, and then we had ongoing services that we performed to maintain the computers and repair them and that sort of thing. But it was a great, it was a great first foray into the market. It was essentially trading, trading in goods that I didn't have to personally produce. I didn't have to make them. Um, and then I could source them relatively cost effectively from various sources and then turn that into income. And for a young entrepreneur, 
generally the question is, well, how do I get started? Where do I get seed capital? And those were that idea uh, played to my strengths, and it also got me around some of the limitations that I had, which was I didn't have investors and I didn't have necessarily parents who were excited about the idea of me skipping my homework to do this. So that was that was the first first example of of, of real entrepreneurship for me. But I had been making things for a long time, and I sort of class myself as a as a maker of things. And um, companies are sometimes the expression of that. They're not necessarily always the end goal. Um, but yeah, that's that's the that's the short of short of it. It was a it was a it was an endeavor that I ended up um, running through high school, um, and then made great money from that, and and then went to college. And that was the moment when I moved on to to starting another company. Awesome. And I, I'm, I'm smiling when you're talking about supply chain because I, I sense you've had to learn that from Art of Sport uh, today versus that first company. Uh, but we'll, we'll definitely get into that in a, in a second. Um, and and one, one other question before we hop into kind of the roots of the company and, and the beginnings in 2018. Um, just curious, you, you know, you've lived in so many different countries. I, I think I read it was t- over 10, maybe it was 12, from Germany to Russia to Mongolia. Um, as a, as a founder of a, a four different companies, like any kind of advice or experiences that living in different, you know, economies and being an international traveler kind of helps you, you know, maybe it's empathy or anything at all that you have found that, that helps you as a founder being exposed to so many different, uh, localities. Oh, hundred percent. And there's lots of different topics there. I'd say empathy is a big one you know, appreciating people from different walks of life, different cultures, different uh, socioeconomic realities, obviously massive. Um, each of those countries were, was experiencing or were experiencing, you know, different stages of, of development in some cases. Uh, you know, this was a time and a place when um, you, 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 there wasn't necessarily a, a homogenous uh, kind of um, business climate in all of these different, on all of these, these different continents. And you still have lots of diversity um, and variety in, in, in domestic economies uh, when you go from one continent to another. But I think we've become a lot more hom- homogenous now, um, especially when it comes to consumers. Nevertheless, I think some of the lessons you learn there is, is, is adapting, um, is um, reinventing yourself, is uh, experimenting with new things that, that people aren't sort of judging you over your lifetime against. And so it, I think it motivates curiosity, it motivates learning. And it motivates. It starts to become muscle memory uh, to to experiment and try things and and sort of learn from from those failures. And so, um, you know, all of those all of those experiences are essentially soft ways of of you know um, cutting your teeth uh, before you dive headlong into trying to build businesses um, because they're they're they those experiences live primarily mostly on the personal end of the spectrum. Uh, rather than sort of solely on the professional side. And so you're really, I think, starting to manifest a toolkit and toolbox on that personal side of things and, and the life side of things that inevitably that tacit knowledge becomes becomes relevant and becomes useful in a number of different business contexts. But but those were some of the things that I took away from those experiences was always learning, always adapting, always trying new things, uh, becoming comfortable with the idea of failure, you know, empathy and, and sort of really tracking the market around me and the cultures around me, noticing differences between different economies and different countries, the stage of development of certain categories and industries, and then sometimes taking advantage of those of those uh, sort of time warps, if you will, 
um, to try something and be the first in those markets to, to do it a certain way because you've seen it done better in, in maybe a more developed country. So all of that was, was, was really brilliant. And I, I lean on a lot of that for, for, for when I start companies now. And when I start businesses now, I also think probably early in the company, earlier in the company's life cycle about scalability and uh, global relevance. And I think that's played well into art of sport and how we think about building this business. I love that. I think the kind of EQ side of things are sometimes not as much uh, talked about and, and certainly being exposed to um, what may have been a foreigner at the time, but you being in be you being a foreigner rather in a, in a different country certainly um, can help, can help you get, get up to speed quite quickly. And so I'm glad you kind of mentioned art of sports. So, so I'd love to kind of hop right into it in terms of the founding of the company uh, you know, the, the late great, Kobe Bryant, uh, rest in peace. He was, um, I believe, a co-founder and helped you get it off the ground, as well as uh, uh, Brian. Uh, is it Brian Lee? That's right. Yeah, Brian Le- Lee. Legal Zoom, I believe. Yeah. Um, maybe first, uh, tell our listeners who Brian is. That he might not be as notable in the uh, worldwide recognition name game as Kobe. Um, yeah, I mean Brian. Brian is a. Um, is a you know serial entrepreneur. He's also an investor. Um, he is um, he's he's built his career in the LA market and and built global businesses from here. Um, and he's been in the startup game for twenty five plus years. Uh, he's a real um, source of inspiration, I think, for a lot of young entrepreneurs. Uh, he's very active in the in the startup community, not just as an investor but as a mentor. Um, and he's built. You know, two multi-billion billion-dollar businesses in terms of in terms of value, uh, LegalZoom, which is the de facto platform for all your legal needs on the internet, and uh, following that, um, Honest Company, which he founded with Jessica Alba, and scaled to a you know billion-dollar-plus um, business in the consumer space, um, specifically uh, aimed at young families, mothers, and, and children. So has had a really uh, divergent career and brings a tremendous amount of experience to the party from inception through to scaling businesses. That, no, that's awesome. And having somebody who's, like you said, done it before um, in, in even like the CPG space, which uh, Art of Sport is in, uh, is tremendously valuable. And uh, I, I can't, you know, leave this this conversation without asking, you know, how you got to know Kobe Bryant and uh, how he got involved with the company early on. Yeah. So so I was introduced to Kobe via Brian um, and Brian had a has a very good friend who who was the um, uh, co-founder and partner in, in Kobe's fund uh, called Brian Stiebel. And we, um, you know, Kobe was just coming off of one of the greatest athletic careers in history and, and was also finding time to build brands that he really believed in and cared about. He did that, obviously, with Nike globally for upwards of two decades. Um, and so really, you know, one forgets he wasn't just wearing the clothing he was or the apparel. He was he was in meetings talking to the senior leadership teams about launching new products, launching dedicated lines, uh, launching products that were relevant globally, especially also in Asia, where he continues to be a, a, a huge source of inspiration for a lot of young young folks. Um, and he he did that then 
then sort of translated, I think, a lot of that knowledge and experience into body armor, which was, um, you know, doing a lot of the, was going up against the Gatorades of this world and establishing itself as a better for you sports drink. So, you know, with Kobe having taken aim successfully at apparel and what you wear on the field as an athlete, then doing that um, in the beverage space and what you put in your body, you know, it felt like the most obvious partner to us uh, to then involve him as a co-founder in the business, looking at application and what you put on your skin every day. Um, the sort of last, I think, big frontier where people hadn't built uh, an authentic sports brand from scratch in the way that Nike did in apparel uh, or Gatorade or Body Armor did in the in the sports beverage space. So that's that was sort of the, the genesis of the relationship. Um, and the timing was pretty fortuitous because he was really excited about building businesses that were serving the athlete. And his first comment to me when we told him about our sport was, how does this not exist yet? Which I think is a, which is a good initial response and gut response uh, from someone who then, you know, be, decided to be a partner with us and, and help us build the business from, from day zero. That, that's that's awesome. Th- thanks for that. And I, you know, we were talking before about athletes, and I think this is a good um, maybe take a quick time out for entrepreneurs and other founders who are listening. Athletes today are you know becoming venture capitalists, angel investors. You know, seems like more than ever, and even earlier than ever, in fact. And you know, leveraging the influencer marketing side of things. And I think there is, there's a there there, but I also think when athletes have skin in the game, like your example with Kobe Bryant and, and, you know, you guys have James Harden, you have other athletes as well. Um, what have you learned and working with athletes and, you know, just sending out a tweet or an Instagram post, there's more to it. And any advice for people who might be getting, um, uh, you know, access to these athletes to bring them onto their cap table? Yeah, uh, you know, the advice is is not too dissimilar in many ways to the type of people you try to bring into your business on your team or, or the types of investors you, you want to be involved with early on. You know, you, you want to find a, a partner um, who, who is uh, hardwired to, to think about what it takes to build something. And, and athletes and their journeys are actually really good uh, proxies for what it's like to build a startup. You know, these are individuals who have willed themselves through their sheer tenacity and talent, but but a lot of hard work, a lot of grind, a lot of unglamorous moments, working in both individually and as a team to stand out and be the best that they can be under lots of pressure, um, both you know personal and professional, um, and the commitments that are required to to be successful as an athlete in many ways are very similar to the pressures and the challenges with business. And I think that athletes are becoming more confident that, that despite maybe not spending, you know, the formative years of their, of their careers in the business world, um, that they have a lot to offer. And, and, and many, in many cases, we're seeing athletes who are very versatile, not just because they have an interest outside of sport, but because they're actively involved in all kinds of interesting new deals and new business opportunities. Um, and they're significantly more engaged than they've ever been via social channels. So there's, there's a tremendous amount of knowledge that exists there 
there's a lot of experience working in teams and putting in the grind and, and the hard work. And then the question is whether they're prepared and excited to, to do that in a startup capacity. Um, and I think if you have the, the right recipe there and the right ingredients from, 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 from that type of individual willing to lean in and willing to be a real part of the business, and you're giving them equity in exchange for that participation, then the relationship goes way beyond a tweet and way beyond just a, a casual endorsement or a passive endorsement. It gets it gets in the weeds and, and you start to you start to have discussions with them about product and testing and efficacy of the products. Um, and, you know, I think it's an important thing to remember that that the athletic community is is in, in many ways the most authentic potential endorsement partner because these are individuals who are so discerning about their diets and discerning about their workouts that if they endorse a product wholly and believe in it, because maybe they've even had a hand in creating it, that that sends a very loud and, and believable signal to the world that this is a product with credibility that you should take seriously, as opposed to maybe a dieting fad or some sort of other type of product that maybe another social influencer is peddling. So I think if you, if you structure these things correctly, you have the right mindset, the right business partner, and you open enough of, un, uh, enough lanes for that person to have a front row seat to, to actually helping sculpt the business, then all of the dividends that come outside of the endorsement start to actually outweigh and, uh, and become you know more valuable than the, the, just the sort of uh, generic endorsement itself. And that's how we structured our business. All of our athletes are business partners. And we engage with them and work with them in a way that goes well beyond asking them just for a production day or asking them just to post something on the Internet. Uh, we incorporate their ideas. They're involved in some cases naming the products and influencing which fragrances we put into the world, influencing what type of ingredients we put in our products. And that was the basis that we approached all those relationships with as we wanted that to really build an authentic sports brand. So my advice to other entrepreneurs is to really dig deep on, on how you can incorporate these athletes in the business properly. And over the course of exploring that with them, you'll know whether or not that person is, is prepared and excited to play that kind of role in your business. And you should seek nothing less than that because you would seek nothing less from an investor and you'd seek nothing less from a teammate. So, so you know, that's my rallying call for folks. And hopefully that was a useful download. Oh, that's a great answer. And and I think when I was listening to you talk about athletes and getting involved, one brand that came to mind was Hyperice and how they got it right early on. And I think approaching it from a partner ownership perspective, as opposed to a influencer or an ambassador perspective is a big, big difference. And uh, before we move on, if you're allowed to say, can you tell us any stories that your athletes have had? Uh, you know, has anyone named a product? And if so, can you tell us which ones or or anything? Yeah. So, I mean, a, a good example of the, the naming conventions has been that, you know, Kobe named all of our products. Um, and and that was, you know, one of the first things he wanted to do was he wanted to get stuck into, you know, building a real brand and an authentic brand. And what should these what should these the names of the fragrances come come to say? Um, and so that was one example, you know, another example of of, of, of working closely together with someone where it transcended the brief really was with example of that is with, uh, James, you know, and, and we, we organized, um, 
a production day to, to, to shoot him and, and grab some content with him. And under, under normal circumstances, you know, James probably has a huge fleet of, uh, of, of, of buses and lounge areas and caterers and all that sort of stuff. But we were a scrappy little operation and, you know, I was running around playing, uh, you know, director, um, and he was willing to be guided by me and, and work with us on how to position it and what kind of flavor to introduce in terms of personality. We just let him do his thing and we captured those moments, but we would then pivot him pretty quickly into doing interviews during that production day. Then we'd have him move to the other side of the room and do uh, voiceover work. Then we'd have him move to the other side of the room to do a social media uh, 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 production. Then we'd move him to another place to do interviews with the press. And this was all condensed down into a day. And he was super happy to, to do it. Um, and it was very versatile and very flexible and very willing to, to help us with that, which was, which, was, which was awesome because it wasn't, you know, you don't necessarily know who you're working with until that first first production day where you have to get stuck in the weeds. And it was just another example of how how awesome our partners were in, in, in understanding the stage of our growth and, and being willing to play ball. That that's awesome. That's, that's a great story. Um, I, I kind of want to shift, you know, art of sport, if, if I'm correct, I just want to make sure you guys started as a DTC traditional digitally native brand is what they would call it today. Is that right? Yeah, I think we were a little bit different because we started as a D2C brand. We also launched on Amazon, which is somewhat unconventional because, you know, the the sort of traditional view is that you're going to build your direct to consumer presence for many years and then you might just, you know, you might look into diversification of your channels. In our case, I think we were very open to the idea that the consumer is a lot more fluid. They are willing to shop in different areas uh, on different channels and foregoing what Amazon is great at, which is a good destination for essentials and the stuff that you kind of want to just buy because you don't want to run down to the store. It seemed like our skincare products, our daily essentials would do pretty well in that ecosystem. And so we we launched on that product on that platform from day one. We created strong differentiated stories and and product propositions for both our D2C channel and our Amazon channel. And uh, Amazon really paid dividends for us and was a rocket ship. And we, we had a really uh, unique opportunity in our first year to headline the Amazon Prime Day, uh, their biggest sales event. And we launched a new fragrance that Kobe helped us with on Prime Day uh, with Kobe, and it became the number one best-selling deodorant stick in the country. Um, so, so, you know, it was important to us to understand the digital ecosystem. We consider ourselves a direct to consumer brand. Um, and we consider Amazon really part and parcel of that, even if it's a third party marketplace. Uh, it's an amazing story because I know brands even today are, are still asking themselves that same question of, of Amazon or, or other marketplaces and, Jet.com, you know, was was a big big deal a few years ago before Walmart bought them. So, I, I love that. And and you know, last year, obviously, we're we're still at the hopefully tail end of a of a global pandemic, and uh, 2020 was not great for for a lot of reasons. But um, it sounds like you guys survived and and powered through. And uh, just as of I, I believe early this year you really doubled down on expanding into the mass channel from CVS, I believe Target rolled out nationally. 
um, uh, HEB, the, several others, Dick Sporting Goods. What was the thought process behind that and how has that been going for the company? Yeah, so the motivation for the business has always been to be um, the next iconic skincare brand um, for the next generation. And part of that belief in, in, and part of that mission to, to really carve out the lane of, of you know, the first sports brand in application was to make our products accessible to the athlete wherever they shop. And so being precious about only being online um, or only being in a certain channel didn't make sense to us if our primary goal was to power every locker and every gym bag and every uh, every bathroom in the country. So in our in our second year, we launched nationally at Target. It was the largest partnership of its kind. Uh, it was a brilliant opportunity to work with a really awesome partner who, who understands what it means to launch a brand in the real world. And uh, we launched at full chain, 14 products, which is a very big launch for us. Um, and it really saw the brand uh, start to enter the dialogue of, of and become slowly but surely a little bit more of a household name. And as of two months ago, we, we rolled out into an additional 14,000 odd doors. Um, and you know that will introduce a new shopper to the brand. And it will also increase the convenience factor of being widely available across the country within different types of urban communities, as well as you know, larger, more suburban type shopping centers. And so that, that, that's, that was an important part of the mission. It's going to continue to be a big part of our mission. And we have a tremendous amount of really brilliant insight that's coming into the organization now by virtue of having expanded out into these channels in this way. Um, and fortunately for us, I think we are returning to a somewhat normal state, uh, and hopefully that'll only continue to progress. But you know, seeing an active sport calendar come to life around the nation, as well as then also being available nationwide, those two things are, I think, going um, to prove uh, a great kind of catalyst and momentum for continued growth for the business. That, that's great. And and two two more questions for you, and I'll and I'll, I'll get you out of here. Um, bef- before we get back to the omni-channel point, because I, I have a kind of more futuristic question, but um, before you expanded to 14,000 doors, I, I'm hesitant to even call the, I don't know if it's a Series A, but a $6 million uh, round uh, that Mark Cuban participated in. I think it'll circle up and uh, a couple of NBA veterans. Um, was that to put more fuel in the fire t- for that expansion in particular? Yeah. So so we're just, you know, I think our our goal here is to build a a brilliant brand and to also um you know build a smart business and so you know that that the most recent round of capitalization was to continue to to fuel that expansion um and do it intelligently and it's enough capital for us to do that um while maintaining you know strict codes and strict standards internally about what a healthy business looks like um i think where other brands get it wrong and where, you know, hubris can kind of get in the way of things is if you're trying to chase down being a billion dollar unicorn um, and you start, you know, approaching your growth with a funding strategy that is um, extreme um, because then that forces the business to think of uh, growth and think of engaging with its consumer in ways that might be significantly less organic than, than, than might be ideal for the brand. So those are the types of 
challenges that any operator has to face when they're when they're starting to see their brand uh, continue to thrive. And that was a it was a great injection of capital to help us continue rolling out at, at retail. Yeah. Um, well, no, thanks for that. And I, and I totally agree on the growth at all costs and growth hacking, all, all these artificial uh, things that are going on to to meet the next round of, of financing. So I love that slow and steady approach. And last last question, I think you're one of the perfect per- people to ask this. I, I want to talk a little bit about the future of retail. And, you know, I still argue that the United States, even after COVID, is still over-retailed by a, by a mile. And now you're starting to see um, storylines around rents dropping tremendously. Is a pop-up retail store, experiential store in the future f- for you guys? Or how do you think about that? Um, I think that I think that the you know there are a lot of ways for for brands such as ours to stand out. I think that the abundance of cheaper retail inventory is is definitely a channel that could uh, surface arbitrageable opportunities to to connect with consumers better. That said, I think that what we're finding is, and every category is different. So take this with a grain of salt. But we, we like to invest in channels where the consumers are and where they shop. Um, and we believe that we can create, by investing correctly with the right partners, those moments of um, discovery and exploration with those retail partners in brilliant ways. So, so we, we don't see that the conventional, call it the conventional channels and the conventional, call it assortments and shelving systems and whatnot as limits um, to us. Our goal is to inhabit those spaces, compete in those arenas and win and make sure that we're telling captivating stories and, and, and investing in, in real reasons for the consumer to pick us over our competition versus necessarily looking to create separate ecosystems or separate environments um, to, to invite the consumer into. Um, we have that separate environment that we curate and are very particular about on our dot-com presence. And I think having a, a strong focus on that and continuing to focus on that as a, as a sort of call it, you know, original D2C brand is going to be important. And then we live very well across the social landscape and between our athletes, they, they I think, collectively have a, around 70 million plus followers. So how we come to life and, and through social media, the kind of activations and efforts we, we perform on digital channels, and then how we connect those to physical brick and mortar locations where people uh, generally shop, uh, where they live. That to us, I think, is the is the magic recipe. So I don't think that 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 is something for us. However, you know, I think that one thing we do pride ourselves on is is trying to tell a captivating story about the experience of the athlete and the world that they inhabit and their mindset. And we like to remind or show people how our products have been developed uh, in line with with that con- consumer that we're serving, science backed formulas. Uh, you know, unique ingredients, very high standards when it comes to clean formulations. And so a space like that, that tells our story and invites in the athlete, I can imagine working very well. I don't know that that necessarily would be a, the barometer for doing that or the success required to do that would have to lean on necessarily revenue from sales. 
Gotcha. That that's a great answer, and it's very clear that you guys look at the space differently than a traditional digitally native brand. Or you know, you see this a lot with like Away and Allbirds and what they're trying to do. And again, different different categories, but um, certainly look forward to watching the growth and uh, coming success for the company. And congrats on on everything uh, to this point. And and thanks again for for taking a few minutes today to to connect on this. Thank you to our guests and sponsors. Without them, there would be no Sport Lifestyle Network. If you're listening via Apple Podcast or Spotify, be sure to rate us and subscribe. For more podcasts and to sign up for the newsletter, go to sportlifestylenetwork.com. Again, sportlifestylenetwork.com. Until next time, play hard or at least look good doing it.